Welcome everyone to episode 24 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and in today's episode we're going back to the late 1800s in Ohio. But first, some quick news. First, bonus episode 4 will be available next week on Patreon, and I plan to do the next giveaway through the Facebook group during the week of episode 27 or 28. I'll make a post in the group when it's about to happen, so make sure you join. As of the writing of this episode, we're only 13 people away from 1,000 members, so make sure to join the group to get in on the giveaways. Now let's just get right into the episode. Sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. This first story takes place between Ohio and West Virginia. Thomas David Carr was born on March 6, 1846, in a family of five boys and three girls. His father, William Carr, was an abusive parent who treated him very badly all throughout his childhood. Three years after his birth, his family began moving frequently around West Virginia living in Woods Run, Fulton, Center Wheeling, and settling in North Wheeling. Thomas grew up as a troublemaker who would frequently fight with other kids in the neighborhood. As a teen and into his adult years, he formed bad associations. And when he began working, he did jobs for rivermen, brickyard hands, and colliers. In 1854, he was sent to prison for unknown reasons. Carr claimed that he was intimate friends with John H. Burns and his accomplice, Oscar Myers, who had murdered a woman named Mary Monotone. John Burns had been sentenced to death, while Oscar was sentenced to life in prison. While on a visit to the prison, Carr had slipped poison for Burns to kill himself with, but the man was too cowardly to do it. Shortly after, his family moved again, this time to Belmont County in Ohio. Soon after moving, the now 16-year-old Carr was enlisted with the 16th Ohio Infantry, and he served three months in West Virginia. Following this, he enlisted for three years with the 18th Ohio Infantry, and when that term expired, he enlisted to another division yet again. During his military career, Carr was frequently arrested due to misconduct, 
and twice he was sentenced to be shot for violating regulations. On one occasion, he was even forced to dig his own grave. But then President Abraham Lincoln felt pity on the boy and he pardoned his sentence. The first murder that Carr confessed to took place near Virginia's Greenleaf Mountain. He had wandered away from his regiment to drink. But while he was laying in the woods, a citizen happened upon him and tried to arrest him. As a man approached, Carr took out his gun and shot him in the chest. The next day, the man died from his injuries. While a prisoner in Columbia, South Carolina, Carr had learned that a man named Edward Barringer was attempting to join the Confederate States Army along with two comrades from the 14th Ohio Infantry. The trio strangled Barringer. After his release, he rejoined the 18th Ohio Infantry and was discharged to Mississippi, where he shot two rebel soldiers, one of them while on picket duty. When his time expired in the 18th Regulars, Carr turned towards the 4th Ohio Infantry serving his duty without much trouble except once, when he shot at an Annie Wallen in Clarksburg, a prostitute who he had connections to. Enlisting afterwards in the 180th Ohio Infantry, Carr was serving in Belmont County, where he was allegedly prevented from arresting a deserter by a Dr. L. Voorhees. The doctor would claim that this never happened. While fighting in the Battle of Franklin, Carr claimed that he had killed and then robbed two men. Following this, he fought in the city of Wilmington, North Carolina, at a place called Wise Forks, where he crouched behind a pine log and he killed an unaware rebel sergeant who had just passed by. He pilfered the man's clothes afterwards. His next murder was that of a soldier of the 84th Ohio Infantry, who Carr had been placed to guard, and then killed after the man had tried to escape. He also claimed that he was one of a gang of 11 men who raided a sutler shop in Petersburg, Virginia, stamping the owner to death in the process. While near Raleigh, North Carolina, a gang of 15 soldiers had learned that a federal soldier had been hung by the Confederates in the cellar of a house of a prominent southerner. When they arrived at the house, they found a rich planter's residence. Carr claimed that the soldiers searched all the rooms of the residence, but found no men, only the women who were left by the rebels. Finally, the gang descended into the cellar where they found a soldier hanging from the ceiling, clothed in Union blue. Enraged, the soldiers burned down the house, watching the women flee the burning home. One of them, a beautiful 17-year-old girl, had her dress burning from the fire, but it was extinguished by the men. However, they then gang-raped and tortured the girl in a very brutal way, leaving her for dead in a nearby orchard without any assistance. When he learned of the crime the following day, Carr said that the men that done that ought to be hung. After this, Carr was guarding a house in Raleigh when he shot a man who was trying to break inside. He had also thrown a waiter 
who refused to give him any food overboard while on a steamer traveling from Moorhead City to Fort Monroe. While in Baltimore, Maryland, Carr attempted to ride on a streetcar without paying the fare. The conductor noticed him, and while trying to kick him off, he had one of his ears nearly severed by the freeloader. The driver then tried to help his colleague, but was stabbed in the bowels by Carr, and he died soon after. The killer then mingled with the crowd and shaved his mustache afterwards, successfully escaping. In Newark, Ohio, after finishing a bottle of whiskey, Carr threw it, hitting a random stranger who was just standing on the platform, splitting the man's skull open. Just at that moment, a train full of soldiers was passing by and Carr jumped on, escaping justice once again. After returning to Wheeling following his army service, Carr began working again, first for a man named James Sweeney in a brickyard, then for a James Bodley, whom he worked for until May of 1867. One night, he escaped from work. Early the following morning, while strolling around town, Carr met a German traveler by the name of Joseph Eisel. The man had just arrived from Parksburg on a steamboat named Express, and he had left his baggage on the boat. Eisel told Carr that he wanted him to help him kill his companion, a fellow German named Alois Ulrich. While the trio were traveling along the Hempfield Railroad, Eisel got behind Ulrich and struck him with a hatchet. The same hatchet Eisel would later use for murdering another man in Parksburg. Carr, who was afraid to be the next victim, struck Ulrich with a rock and then Eisel finished him off with the hatchet. After killing him, the duo rummaged through his pockets, finding a lot of francs and some paper money. They divided the money, with Carr getting the bigger cut, and then they parted ways. Carr would later claim that he had seen Eisel in Pimbleton House, where he was having the time of his life. Following this murder, he felt very uneasy, even considering giving himself up since Carr was afraid that after the coroner's inquest, Eisel would implicate him. However, that never happened, and he never saw Eisel again. Following this murder, Carr considered peddling the money, but this murder began to haunt him, and so he decided to join the Methodist Episcopal Church, headed by Reverend Ball. For some time after, he began to feel better, with people encouraging him. Despite this, Carr soon grew restless and began talking in his sleep due to the fear of being caught. He then decided to leave Wheeling and to never return. He soon moved back to Belmont County, where he was to be engaged to a 13-year-old girl named Louisa Catherine Fox in Toolsville, Ohio. He initially claimed to have her parents' consent but they later had redacted and refused to let the girl marry him. When Louisa told him that she had to break off the marriage, this infuriated Thomas, who then decided that he'd kill her. He stole a razor from the shoe shop of Alexander Williams and turned towards the house of Miss Hunter, for whom Louisa was working as a servant. He then lied to the girl 
and he told her that he had been to her parents' house and that they wanted her to visit them at their grandparents'. He then asked Louisa one last time, and she rejected him once again. Following this, Carr drank around four bottles of hard cider, which heavily intoxicated him. Learning that Louisa was going to go to her grandparents, he got the stolen razor and he went to the road. He decided to wait by a large oak tree. He changed his mind and he decided to get a gun and shoot her instead. He would visit two separate houses to ask for one, but neither one had a gun. After returning to the fields, Carr noticed some tracks and immediately realized that they were Louisa's. He then ran up to the hill and he waited until he saw her walking along the road with her little brother Willie. Carr hid behind a fence before Louisa herself could notice him and began talking to him. The pair conversed for a long while, both of them eventually breaking down into tears. Louisa kept telling him that they couldn't get married due to her parents' disapproval. Carr then told Willie to go down the road and that they would follow him soon after. After arguing for a bit, both began walking down the road, with Willie being about 10 yards ahead of them. By then, Carr had decided to kill her, and when they reached the ravine, continuing their talk in the meantime. He asked her if it was enough for a man to commit a crime, with her crying out that she wished for death due to all the problems that she was facing. Upon hearing this, Carr grabbed her by the arm and began walking towards the ravine, asking her if she was ready to die. The girl pleaded for her life, but to no avail. When he reached a gutter, Carr pulled out the stolen razor and began slashing the right side of her neck across the jugular vein, making a wound that was 10 inches long and 2 inches deep. Fox's last words were supposedly, Farewell, Tom. Oh, I didn't think you could serve me so. He then proceeded to make between 10 or 12 more cuts on her neck, one on the hand and a final on the breast. After letting some of her blood spill in the gutter, Carr raised the now-deceased Louisa and kissed her three times. After leaving Louisa's body, Carr started going up the hill. He was considering cutting his throat near a white oak tree, but then he decided to go back in Sewellsville with a gun and kill Mrs. Hunter. He saw that he was being chased due to the fact that Willie had informed his father of the murder. Carr began knocking on every door he came across, asking for the owners politely if they had any guns so he could kill a rabbit, before finally arriving at the house of a Mr. Young, whose wife finally gave Thomas a gun. After arming himself, he cut through the woods and began walking along the same road on which he had followed Louisa. Feeling weakened and walking slowly as he could, because he had not eaten anything. He then saw a group of people surrounding the murder site and looking for him. Carr noticed that a lot of people were coming in and out from the Fox residence, and he decided to take a look. After passing by several of the posse, cocking his gun and preparing to shoot at any time, he got lucky and each of them passed by. When he finally got to the kitchen window, 
he saw Louisa's body being dressed up by the doctors. He immediately felt that he should go kiss her and shake her hand, but he had to wait as there were still people inside. Continuing to observe the people entering and leaving, he saw Louisa's body, remarking that she was looking very pale, but thought hers was the most beautiful corpse that he had ever saw. However, despite feeling utterly miserable, Carr decided to hide away in a nearby bank until morning. Around dawn of the following day, Thomas came out of the bank and returned to his hiding place, deciding to observe for a while. He contemplated going back to the house and seeing Louisa's body again, but he was afraid there would be too big of a crowd there and that they would see him. So instead, he decided to get his handkerchief and tie up his gun, placing it on a rafter and putting the muzzle to his heart. He then arranged a string that when pulled, would pull the gun toward him and kill him instantly. He jerked his hand and the bullet lodged into his chest to the left of his heart. He then felt on his back and began to check if the bullet had come out or not, which it hadn't. After this, he got up and walked over to the spring 30 or 40 yards from there, and he had a drink. Soon after, he heard somebody screaming, Murder! 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 And immediately upon hearing this, Carr grabbed the stolen razor and began cutting his throat, before jabbing it straight into his windpipe and almost severing it completely. Due to how fast the blood was flowing out, he fainted. He survived, however, and was immediately taken to court. In June 1869, Carr was tried and found guilty of murdering Louisa Fox, being sentenced to death for the crime. His lawyer lodged an appeal, and during this time, Carr tried to kill himself again by cutting one of his veins open. On the day of his execution, Carr was ready to die. While waiting in his cell, he was visited by two girls who were enamored with him. He gave them a photograph and some silver rings and asked them to remember him, which they promised to do. After being put on the scaffold, he began saying prayers and singing hymns, asking for God to receive him after he dies. He then made a long speech, telling his life story and how he was harshly dis disciplined as a child, and that the future generations should not be like him. He blamed most of his confessed murders on his heavy drinking, saying the following. The bitter cup they call whiskey has brought me here. It will ruin any man. Whiskey. Whiskey is what brought me where I now stand, a condemned murderer, about to be launched into eternity. Oh, take my advice and banish it. Banish whiskey, and you banish crime. Look at your prisons. Look at your poor. Look at the gallows erected here to hang me. A soldier who fought five years to defend the government. Keep liquor away from your citizens. Banish whiskey and you will have no more wicked men like Tom Carr to execute. I pray earnestly that God will break up the damn shops. Pray for it, everyone. After finishing with a short prayer for the many crimes in his life, the trap door opened. Carr's neck wasn't immediately broken, 
but he slowly strangled and soon died. After physicians pronounced him dead, his body was buried in the local pauper's lot in St. Clairsville. His execution was the first legal execution ever carried out in the county. That is definitely one of the crazier stories that I've told. He was such a selfish, evil man. I know that the 1800s were a different time, but being engaged to a 13-year-old girl and then murdering her because her parents wouldn't let her get married is... It's creepy and... I can't even think of another word to use. Creepy and wrong. Thankfully, he's dead now, and he wasn't able to hurt anyone else after his long reign of terror. Our next story comes from yourghoststories.com, and it's about one person's experience with a non-human entity. I've been having ghost experiences since I was very young. I am now 39 and quite seasoned at ghostly contact. I have seen and heard them also felt them touch me. I have had one encounter with an animal ghost and a couple of encounters with shadow ghosts. The last experience, though, seems to have combined the two and has left me a bit frightened. I had just laid down in bed, and I was facing my bedroom windows, lying on my right side. I am in a third town home from the corner. There is a street light on the corner which affords a bit of light into the bedroom. I also have a two-foot black light in the bedroom, which burns constantly. I was lying there and noticed what I thought was my papillion, with his front paws up on the mattress, appearing to look at me intently. I stared at him for a while, and I noticed that his figure wasn't moving. This is uncharacteristic of a two-year-old pat, so I began examining the shadow a bit more in depth. I noted that the shadow was really, really dark. Darker than a normal shadow of an animal should have been. The thing also did not have my boy's butterfly ears. It appeared to be more the size and shape of a large house cat. I wanted to reach out to touch it, to see if it was real. But something told me that I dare not to. I suddenly became very afraid. This thing was about six inches from my face, since I tend to sleep toward the very edge of the mattress. I squeezed my eyes shut for about a minute and then reopened them to see this thing still there. I kept staring at it, angry and scared, and it began doing this weird motion with its head. Picture a cat moving its head in an infinity symbol shape like a sideways eight. I became very scared at this point. It was almost as if it wanted to hypnotize me. I closed my eyes again for a minute, and when I looked again, the thing was gone. Whatever this was, I feel that it was very ancient, but lower level spiritually. As strange as this is going to sound, I feel that it was trying to get me out of my physical body to go on a journey that I did not want to take. 
I don't know if this was a shadow ghost. I usually see them as very dark, fast-moving shadows on the floor around my feet. Or if this was some kind of psychic attack. I do know that this thing felt very malevolent and sinister. I did not like the way its essence or energy felt to me. This has disturbed me ever since it happened. I was only able to bring myself to write about it a few nights ago. I came here searching for answers. Perhaps someone who knows what this could have been. This has bothered me more than any old human spirit ever could. This thing was not human, and it never was. Anytime a non-human entity comes into this situation, it's going to be scary. Demons and shadow men combined with each other makes for an extra scary time. I'm glad that I've never seen one myself. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and I truly hope that you enjoyed the stories. If so, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really does help other people find this podcast. Don't forget to join us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to support the podcast by joining the Ohio Unsolved Patreon. There's three affordable tiers to choose from, with bonus episodes beginning exclusive to patrons at the $5 tier and up. Bonus episode 4 will be out next week. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.